I like that bass sound. Sounds good. It does. I have to work on that. All right, welcome to uh, Prophecy Focus. Uh, this is June 1st, 2022, so we're starting our summer session. We're going to do 12 minor prophets in 12 weeks. So we're basically going to give you the background on things, give you a little summary of things, and it will help you. Most people do not know the minor prophets very well. So as we go through these, we're going to give you little bullet points on hopefully helping you to understand some of the main concepts in the books. Then uh, we'll actually go in, we'll give you just some highlight scriptures. Now we got 14 chapters in Hosea, so obviously we're not going to uh, go through verse by verse, or we'd never get through it uh, tonight, but I'm more than happy to stay for 12 hours, and we can do it. But, what about uh, we? Huh? What we are you talking? Well, about? I know I'll be tucking you. I'll be tucking you in uh, while I'm talking. But uh, again, uh, those of you that are going to be here for the entire summer, my suggestion is you you look ahead to the next book. Now Joel is much shorter, but read through the book. You'll get the basic understanding of it. And again, what we're trying to do from a prophetic standpoint is what is God trying to teach us in each of these books. And most of them have a pretty pointed concept. And Hosea has a very pointed concept. So we've given you a couple of handouts. And by the way, if you're watching on the internet, um, would like to get a hold of the things that we're talking about, you can feel free to contact us here uh, at myugbc.com or myuniongrowbaptistchurch.com. So it's just the acronym my ugbc.com is our website and if you want to get a hold of the office just go to office spell it out plain old office o-f-f-i-c-e at myugbc.com and uh, we'll be happy to send you anything here the powerpoints the handouts uh, whatever you might like and of course the messages will be on the website as well and sermonaudio.com and youtube and a host of other venues. All right, buddy. I'm ready. How, how are we feeling? Good. Good. It's a busy time of year, but feeling, yeah. feeling good. Now, why we're, we still got some folks coming in. Uh, you got a big thing coming up in a couple of weeks here. Why don't you tell the folks about it? I think that would be VBS. Yes. So, VBS starts June 20th to the 24th. And you can go to that same website, by the way, myugbc.com, and register. There's a giant VBS button. It's really easy. Click or tap the button and register your kids. Uh, 6.30 to 8.30 each night. It's a Monday through Friday, and we are going to the streets of Jerusalem for VBS this year. So we're, we're excited. A lot of planning has taken place, and there's more to do. So please be praying about that ministry and um, have your kids come. It's going to be a great week. All right. I think we're ready. So thank you for being here tonight on a Wednesday night. Uh, Again, those that are just coming in, it will be 12 minor prophets in 12 weeks, so we're going to give you the basics uh, in each minor prophet. Today we start in Hosea, so you may want to turn your Bible to there, and it's like uh, it's probably those pages that are stuck together, uh, but eventually you'll find it. So the last 12 books are the last 12 minor prophets. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. So we have... Four major prophets, twelve minor prophets. If you we had to, how how do we decide what's a major and what's a minor prophet? The minor prophets, they they were the guys that were under the age of eighteen. 
Ah, there's one in every crowd, and here he is. All right. <laughs> minor prophets were, uh, they're called the minor prophets, not because they're less important, but because of the length of the book. They're just smaller, uh, they're smaller books versus the major prophets, which are much larger, many more chapters and verses in those. All right, so Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, those are our major ones. And then we'll be going through, and you should have the list now, uh, the handouts, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, which are the 12 minor books, which we'll be going through over the next 12 weeks. All right, well, Josh, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you pray? Let's get into this and uh, start our study. All right. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word that you've given to us and for these precious uh, prophets that we're going to study this summer. Please just guide our minds and hearts. Help us to see the truths and the message that you have in each of the books. And be with us tonight as we start off with Hosea. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So the first section, we're, we're actually going to go through about six, seven different concepts tonight and trying to get an idea of what is being talked about here. Now, you see a bunch of names up there, a bunch of dating and so forth. What we really want to get through to you this evening is who are these prophets talking to? That's the key thing. And that's why on this particular sheet that has uh, who are the minor prophets, it's very important to know who are they talking to and why. So let's just, uh, we'll go through the first line just to kind of help you out, make a little sense out of it. So on the top line, it says Hosea. The meaning of Hosea's name is salvation. That's easy. The theme of Hosea, God's steadfast love for Israel. We're going to see, if you've not ever studied the book of Hosea, it's got a very, very interesting twist to it at the beginning. God asked Hosea to do something that, the average person would say, no way on earth am I going to do it. Uh, he, he basically tells Hosea, I want you to marry basically a prostitute, and I want you to love her, and I want you to care for her. She's going to cheat on you. She's going to leave you, and then you're going to take her back. It's a very interesting scenario. And we'll get into why this very, very interesting and little unorthodox situation exists. Everything in these prophets, God is comparing to something spiritual with what group of people? Israel, okay? So again, when we're looking at the prophets, the Old Testament, we're not talking about church age things that are taking place today. We're looking at some of those things were fulfilled in the past. Some of the things we'll look at are yet to be fulfilled in what we call and here's a big fancy word, the eschatological future. Eschatological or eschatology simply meaning the study of future things. Okay? Um, and I'm going to do a little bit of the talking at the beginning, then we're going we're gonna to switch off and kind of go back and forth here in a few minutes, and uh, we'll see how that works. Not sure yet because we've never done this like this before. Yeah, it's a first try, so you guys are the guinea pigs. Sorry. Yeah. So if you mess up, it's, we're going to be in big trouble. And if you mess up, it's also my fault. That's not going to happen, right? (laughs) (laughs) By the way, uh, if you haven't heard, Josh is now a TV star. He's going to be on Prophecy Focus with me, um, our brand, my brand new co-host on Prophecy Focus. So it'll be about six, eight weeks before the first shows air with yours truly, Josh. All right. So the theme of Hosea, God's steadfast love for Israel. Again, we're going to see that God 
is choosing Israel as his chosen people despite the fact they often don't choose him. So that's the concept. He's writing to, and we'll show you in the map what we're talking about, the northern kingdom. All right, so um, I'm going to skip up to the next slide here, and then I'm going to come back to that. It's What we really want to understand is when we're reading the prophets is the context, the historical background of who's being written to. So if you picked up Hosea and said, well, God is writing Hosea to the church age. In other words, this is a 100% written to me. You're going to have some problems interpreting the passage. Now, let's ask this question first. And if you want to get 2 Timothy 3.16 while I'm pausing here. If you're reading the Old Testament, does that mean that you should just ignore everything from a practical basis and just take it as historical facts? What's your answer to that? No. no. All right. And uh, if you got the, the passage, we'll explain why. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Uh, verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And again, when we're looking at man of God, we're talking about men and women. I, I think we can easily state that. All right, so even though God is, is writing directly to Israel in Hosea, are there spiritual truths that we can get out of it? And I, I would suggest absolutely we can. All right, so when we're looking at the map up on the screen right now, the southern tribes are in that little red box, which are Judah and Benjamin, two of those tribes belong to what's known as the southern kingdom. The other ten tribes are the northern kingdom. Now the little tricky one is when you look below that red box, there's a tribe down there called Simeon. And Simeon is actually part of the northern tribes, even though physically, geographically, it sits south. But it is part of the northern kingdom. So all the ten tribes uh, that are listed there all belong to the northern kingdom. Now, Here's another little tricky piece to this, which is really not part of our study tonight, but I'm going to throw it out there because you're like, well, wait a minute. Where's Joseph at? Where's Levi at? Okay, so now we just upped it from 12 to 14. So here's the answer to that question. Do you see Joseph's name under any of those groups up there? The answer is no, you don't. Do you see Levi up there? The answer is no. Levi is not given, if you will, a specific piece of property as all the other nations were, all the other tribes were. So Levi isn't counted in certain passages. Now, Joseph had two specific sons. What were their names, if you recall? Manasseh, Manasseh and Ephraim. All right, do you see those two up there? You do. All right, so Ephraim and Manasseh, basically Joseph, he doesn't, his name isn't called out in, this, in many of the different sections. And by the way, you'll see different things in different groupings in, in scriptures. But when we're looking at Ephraim and Manasseh, it's basically the tribe of, it's coming from the, uh, Joseph, their father. So if you take away Joseph, you take away Levi, and you bring in Ephraim and Manasseh, there's your 12 tribes, all right? Hopefully that makes some sense. So let's go back here. And here is the main division that we want to look at. So 
when you look again at who are the minor prophets, that this sheep, this is going to be helpful for the entire summer uh, going through it because every single prophet has a specific group that they're preaching to, that they're talking to. And if you get it wrong, it's going to really mess up your Bible study. All right? So when Hosea is writing specifically to the ten northern kingdoms. Now, if you go on your second study sheet, uh, let's see, where do we got the date on there? Eh, not sure. It's on there somewhere. Josh, you can find it. Um, but anyway, the dating on, on when Hosea is speaking is approximately 750 B.C., up through maybe 720-715 BC. Now, why is that important? Well, if you look on the screen again, Hosea's job is to explain to the northern kingdom that if you don't get right with God, you're going into captivity. All right, let's see how many of you know your historical background. Did the northern ten tribes get taken into captivity? And what year were they taken into captivity? It's up on the screen. I'll give you a hint. <laughs> I think it's up there. Anybody, anybody want to guess when the uh, uh, northern kingdom was taken captive to Assyria? 722. There you go. Uh, if you look on, they, they're off a little bit on their number. I mean, the, the actual historical date is about 721, 722 B.C. when Assyria came in and literally captured the uh, ten northern tribes and took them captive to Assyria. All right? Very important. So, why is this important, knowing all of this background? Because, again, Hosea was preaching to the northern ten tribes. Get right with God. You're messed up. You're not doing right. If you don't change, you're going into captivity. And, of course, that's exactly what happened because, unfortunately, the Jewish people did not make that move. All right, as we progress over the next uh, three months, we'll be progressing on that timeline as well. All right, so Josh, I'm going to switch over to you here. And why don't you take them through, and you can just go kind of through the slides. You can add live, read, whatever you're comfortable with. And let's just go through some of the introductory things about Hosea, and then we'll get into the actual scripture in a little bit. Okay, so uh, little is known concerning Hosea. We don't have a lot of background information on him, except for uh, in the first verse, he's mentioned as the son of Beer. Beery, Beery. Um, Come on, this is a fundamental church. It's Beri. Beri. There you go. <laughs> His ministry um, is listed by the kings that he that he prophesied to. So there were uh, four kings of Judah, which was that southern kingdom: uh, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Um, and then, where a lot of his ministry took place in the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, there were seven kings that he prophesied to. Um, and they're listed there. And so, again, his ministry primarily was to the ten tribes of Israel. And I do believe that's where he was actually born, in the, in the northern kingdom. Yes. One of the only uh, prophets to the north that was actually from, from there. Uh, we mentioned the dates already, 750 to 722, uh, somewhere in there. Uh, which, of course, led up to the captivity that we just talked about in 722 when Assyria, Assyria came in 
and finally took them all um, captive into captivity. Um, his prophecies, uh, generally, they're, they're warning Israel, uh, as well as warnings to the two, two tribes of Judah concerning this coming judgment from God for their sins. And as you go through the passage, you see warning after warning of, of what's going to come if they don't stop their idolatry. Um, and so uh, his ministry revolved around three themes. And you can pick, pick these out, out of the text. The first theme, the sins of Israel and Judah. Uh, the second being punishment from God because of the sins. And then third, and I think this is a, a beautiful part of, the, of this book, is their ultimate spiritual and political restoration. So you see both sides of God. You see his wrath and anger at sin, and then you also see his um, grace and his love for his people. So uh, the sins and resulting judgment recognized here in chapter 1, verses 2 through 9, are then followed by restoration in verses 10 uh, through chapter 2, verse 1. Okay, so what we're going to see as Josh goes through this now, there's five key areas that we're going to be looking at. This is the key area number one. We're going to go through just a little snippet of what those five areas are, and then we're going to come back and go through them, give you some more of the biblical background. We're going to read in every single chapter. We're going to pull out the key verses that literally explain what the judgment is and what the potential restoration is and what the potential blessing is. So by the time, uh, and I'm and I'm pretty confident about this, by the time we hit 745 tonight, you will have a pretty good grip on not only the concepts of what Hosea is doing, but you'll also, you'll have a good understanding of the biblical text, even though it's going to be rather quick. All right, so that's section one, and then we can move on. All right, so the second series of indictments for the sins of Israel and Judah is described in chapter one, verse two through verse 13, um, and that results in restoration and deliverance, which is prophesied in the next set of verses, 214 to 35. Uh, the third series of indictments, I think there's five altogether, so this is the third uh, recorded in chapter 4 to 5, um, again, follows prophecies of restoration. So you have this pattern of the judgment coming and then followed by the restoration each time. The fourth uh, period of indictments revealed in chapters 6, 4 through eleven seven, and then uh, restoration in verses verse 8 through 11 of chapter 11. And then the, the fifth and final set of prophecies concerning judgments to come for Israel's sins were given in 11, chapter 11, verse 12 to 13, 16, followed by a prophecy of restoration found in chapter 14. And some of the most beautiful verses, I think, in the, in the book are in those restoration portions. All right, so if you take your handout, uh, we're not going to go through all this. Uh, the handout is basically a cover some of these things. Uh, on page one, though, we are going to spend some time on the bottom third where it talks about the names of the children. We're going to go to those passages. On the back, it basically gives you some of the ideas that were given on the sheets. And then if you want a basic outline on the back of uh, page two, it gives you a summary outline of all the things that are listed here. So by the time we get done, again, you should have a pretty good idea of exactly where these things are going. All right. So now we're going to get into, uh, uh, we're going to go back now, circle back, and now we're going to start getting into the heavier portion of things. So Josh, I'm going to have you, if you don't mind, the first series, why don't you take uh, the, the slides, and then I'm going to pop into the biblical text, and then we'll switch off on the next round. Okay. Hosea 1, 
tells us that three children were born to the union, uh, probably genuine children of Hosea. They weren't children of adultery. Um, they were his biological children, the first given the name Jezreel. And each name has a significant meaning. So the first Jezreel is as a significant indication of the coming judgment of God on the ten tribes of Israel because of the massacre at Jezreel in verse number four. Um, it, this referred to the slaughter of the descendants of Ahab and Jezebel by Jehu, which was first prophesied by Elijah back in 1 Kings uh, chapter 21. And then Elisha then commanded in 2 Kings 9 and approved by the Lord. This was to cut off Ahab because of his terrible sinfulness. And so Jehu was the instrument of God to do that. Uh, but he actually went beyond the Lord's instruction, also killed Joram Ahaziah of the kingdom of Judah and many of Ahaziah's relatives who were not part of the original command. All right, so let's take our Bibles. Let's start going through this because you're going to get stuck in facts and history and you're going you're gonna to blank out here. So grab your Bibles. Let's go to Hosea chapter 1 and start going through the text and these things will start coming out. All right, so uh, uh, I'll hit the highlights. We're not going to read every verse, but I will pick out the most important things in the verses as we go through. So again, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Berai, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. All right, first test. Where's Judah at, north or south? Southern kingdom. All right, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, you remember those two? They had a little bit of a tiff. And uh, that's what actually ended up in Israel being broken up into the two kingdoms. So Jeroboam and Rehoboam uh, uh, got into a fight, if you will, and that's what broke up the 12 tribes into the 10. Now, little sidelight right here, because it's not part of our, our slides tonight. The 10 tribes of Israel that were taken captive to what country, what place? Assyria. Say what? Assyria. Assyria. All right, in 722 B.C., the ten northern tribes were taken captive to Assyria. Something happens after that where another country, another entity, empire, defeats Assyria and becomes the, basically the world ruler. What was the country, what was the empire that took out Assyria? Babylon. All right. Here's the thing. The ten northern tribes were taken captive to where? Assyria. And I'm repetition is the best way to remember things. The two southern tribes, which we're not even talking about tonight, except in, in, in very minuscule point at the end of Hosea, the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were they ever taken captive? Absolutely they were. All right. And they were taken captive by what empire? Babylon. And when, and I don't expect you to know this one, when did that deportation take place? Well, it took place in three waves after Babylon defeated Assyria, 605, 597, and 586. There were three deportations of taking the southern kingdom and getting them all deported to Babylon. Now, if you watch the internet, and this is where it gets a little wonky sometimes, even with conservative uh, Bible teachers, 
Have you ever heard of the ten lost tribes of Israel? Ever hear that, that statement? Now, are those ten tribes lost? Absolutely not. How do we know that? Well, the ten tribes were taken captive by, one more time, taken captive by Assyria. Well, who defeated Assyria was again Babylon. Where do you think those people went under, the ten northern tribes, when Babylon took over? Did they just disappear when Assyria was defeated? Of course not. The ten northern tribes were then basically put under Babylonian rule. And then by 586 B.C., all the southern, all the northern tribes were under the rule of what empire? Babylon. Babylon. It's actually fairly simple. So when Cyrus, after about in 5, almost 586 minus 70, what do you come up with? About 515 B.C., a little bit before that, King Cyrus, a pagan king, tells the folks in Babylon, listen, God spoke to me and told me that you Jewish people need to go back to Jerusalem, build the cities, the walls, and your temple. And after that 70-year captivity, which we're not going to get into tonight why all that existed, they started moving back to Israel. Now, was it just the Judean group, the, the southern tribe that went back? No, all 12 tribes, different people from all the tribes, began to migrate back to Israel, all right? So there's no 10 lost tribes. They're all, it's just kind of unhistoric fake news, if you will, that they disappeared when Babylon took over. They're all there. They're all back. And if you go to Israel, and of course all the genealogies were destroyed in 586 when the temple went down, but uh, they actually, the Jewish people today, they do a lot of DNA testing of the Jewish people. They do. And what they, uh, they're actually, from their perspective, are able to determine what tribe the Jewish people are from. So when you need 20,000 priests from the tribe of Levi, they've got record of 20,000 uh, Jewish males that exist uh, that are in their database that, uh, uh, according to them, are from the tribe of Le Levi based on DNA testing. Why is that important? Because... I'm rabbit trailing. Stop me. Why is that important? Because is there going to be a third Jewish temple in Israel? Yes. Absolutely there is. Daniel 9, 27, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, Matthew 24, 15, Revelation 11, 1 and 2. I'll speak about that third temple that's going to come. It, is that a Christian temple or an old Orthodox Jewish temple? temple that's going to be formed. It's the old Orthodox. It's not going to be Christian. It's actually, and I hate to put it in these terms, but it, uh, pagan might be pushing it a little too far because they're still worshiping the God of Israel, but it's not, a, it's, it's not what God wants, but he's going to allow it to take place. All right, that's a whole other story. But all of this is interesting because we need those 12 tribes. We're back in Hosea 750 B.C. when he said, listen, you guys get right with God or we're going to take you out. All right, let's go to, uh, let's go down to verse 10. All right, so here's the first major issue that he's talking about. Whoop, I'm sorry, I went too fast. Go back to verse 3. So he went, in other words, Hosea went and took Gomer, Gomer is the wife. She is the lady of harlotry that, that 
Hosea has been told by God to marry. So he, he went to Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. The Lord said to him, call his name what? Jezreel. That is important. Why? Because what we're going to see in the three children that are born, every one of those three names has significance, prophetic significance, as to what's going to take place in Israel. Verse 5, it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. By the way, the valley of Jezreel, which this is history, is the exact same place where the battle of what's going to take place in the end of the tribulation. Armageddon, all right? So it, there's that nexus again. Okay, we go to the second person. So then he conceives a daughter. Then God said to him, call her name lo for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. That's what the name means. I'm taking my mercy away from Israel. I'm going to chastise you. I'm going to, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to bring heavy consequences. Wait a second. What happens? This is 750 B.C. What happens in 722 B.C.? What happens? Captivity. The captivity by Assyria. Assyria. All right. This is the prophecy of that's going to take place. So approximately 30 years before Assyria actually came in and took them captive, God's saying, listen, Hosea, I want you to go to the Jewish people. I want you to tell them this is what's going to happen based on your unfaithfulness. All right, go down to verse 8. Then when she had weaned Loruama, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, call his name Loami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. That's pretty harsh, right? I mean, it's very harsh. God is saying, listen, I, I about had it. I have had it with you. You refuse to do what I said. I'm going to judge you. I'm going to take you captive. And then God says, hang on. Okay. Did you ever get mad at one of your kids? I mean, just absolutely lose it. Blow up, or maybe someone else. And, all, and after you think about it a while, it's like, you know, I was really ticked at them, but you know what? I still love them, and uh, maybe we can make this thing right. Verse 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there it shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel. Why did he all of a sudden throw Judah in there? Who is he chewing out right now? Chewing out the northern, northern tribes of Israel. Now all of a sudden he's giving a prophecy about bringing Israel and Judah back together. The northern and the southern kingdoms being united under God. Okay, so we talk a lot about prophecy here. When is that going to happen? Say what? Somebody said it. During what period? The millennial kingdom. Revelation 20, verses 1 to 7, when Jesus Christ comes back. And where does Jesus Christ come back? He comes back, Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 21. Jesus mounts up on his white horse with all the saints. He comes back. The battle uh, uh, takes place. And what happens next? Jesus Christ sets up his 1,000-year millennial kingdom where Israel and Judah are united and God says, you are now my people. Will the Jewish people turn to Christ at the end of the seven-year tribulation period? Absolutely. You say, how do you know that? Would you stop me? I'm getting off again. 
Second, or I'm sorry, Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 and 9. That should become fairly familiar verses to you. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9, what happens? Two-thirds of all Israel will be what? They'll be killed. One-third will be saved and brought through the fire. Okay, we've talked about this. This also corresponds with Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, Luke uh, 21 and Mark 13. Where are the Jewish people, that one-third, where is God going to preserve them during that final three and a half years of the tribulation period? Where is he going to take them? In all likelihood, Petra, which is located in what current country? Jordan. That's a whole other story, and if I go there, I'll be so rabbit-trailed we'll never get through Hosea. All right, that's a whole other issue. But all this works together. So you see, when we're, when we're on Sunday mornings, we're going to be back in Revelation in two weeks. And when you go through that, when you go through Daniel, when you go through the minor prophets, all these things do what? They come together and it all is one big happy Bible. All right? Okay. Uh, so, I think I'm going to stop there. So what I'm going to do is have Josh go back, finish up uh, these couple of slides for section one, then I'll start section two, and then you can do the Bible on it. The Bible's more fun, by the way. Yeah. It is. All right, go ahead. All right, so we talked about the slaughter of the descendants of Ahab by Jehu. Uh, then he goes beyond the instructions and kills more than he was supposed to in the original command. Uh, I think we're on the next one there. Yeah. So the prophecy. Yeah, let's, let's skip okay. that. Just go up to. Uh, second child. Yeah. Okay, so uh, again, the second child born to Hosea and Gomer was a daughter named Lo-Ruhamah, uh, which means literally not loved, referring to the house of Israel. So God is saying, I'm naming your children after what my um, experience, what the Israel is going to experience from me. And then as we also just mentioned, Lo-Ami, meaning not my people. So the second cycle then. I'll take the second cycle and I'll okay. let you have the fun part, which starts right there. All right. All right, so that's the first cycle, number one. What happens? God tells Hosea, you're going to have uh, three children through this, uh, quite frankly, uh, with all due respect, a harlot prostitute whom you're going to marry, but she's going to have three of your children. Here's what you're going to name them. Every single one of these children's names has a prophetic significance. Then at the end of section one, which is the good part, he says, man, I'm bringing Israel back. I'm bringing Judah back. Even though I basically was sick and tired of I hate what you've done. All right, let's, let's pause for a moment and get the significance of what's going on here. God is using Hosea as a serious illustration of Israel's treatment of God. That is the point. Israel is being convicted of the crime of spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. All right? So when you look at uh, from a human standpoint, and again, um, this is, here's, here's where it gets a little dangerous. So we're talking about things that people that potentially that are watching, sitting, whatever, it's like, all right, you're, you're, you're getting on dangerous territory here because maybe it's something someone listening has done. This is not a condemnation session, if you will, about folks that might have 
gone into adultery or so forth, all right? Let's just ask the simplistic question. Is God in favor of adultery in any form? No, he's not, all right? So we've got to put that out there. God is using the, if you will, the sin, the, the, the wrongness of adultery to now say, okay, Israel, you, you know who Gomer is. You know what she's done. You know uh, the things that she's done on the streets and so forth. You know that she was paid to do uh, uh, intimate acts with people she's not married with. Hosea. You look at Gomer, I want you to marry her. She's an adulteress, and she's going to commit adultery on you. Why would God mandate that he do this? Because Hosea, God bless him, is going to illustrate the adultery, the spiritual adultery that the Jewish people are playing against God. We're going to talk about Baal, B-A-A-L, pagan God. Of course, there is no other God but God. They're all made up uh, idolatrous things, but people were worshiping Baal instead of God himself. That's spiritual adultery, and God says, I'll have none of it. I'm I'm not going to tolerate this. So he's looking at this issue, and he's making it, I mean, you can't get any clearer than what's taking place here, because the people in context, in the historical time that this was being written, knew exactly what was taking place. And now, of course, we who study the Scriptures uh, uh, can come up with the same conclusion. So it's a very, very harsh, difficult thing that God is bringing out through this illustration with what I have to say is an exemplary guy named Hosea to where he said, listen, despite the spiritual adult, no, excuse me, despite the real adultery that Gomer was going to commit against him, how is Hosea going to treat Gomer? Is he going to cast her away and say, no, I'm not, I mean, she messed up, I never want her back. Is that how this is going to go? No. The answer is no. Gomer is going to, or uh, Hosea is going to love Gomer in the same way that God loves Israel. God said, I'm sick of Israel. I'm tired of her. I'm going to get rid of her. I'm casting her out. And then he says, time out. I love you. I just love you. You're my people. And I'm going to do everything I can to restore you to myself. And we know the end of the story, which we talked about in Revelation, because one-third of all Jewish people will come to Christ at the end of the tribulation in the beginning of the millennium. You say, how do you know that? Well, you've got to come here on Sunday nights, and we'll get into Romans eventually in a couple of months, Romans chapter 9 through 11. We're only in chapter 4 right now in two weeks. But it tells exactly that Israel will be saved. That one-third that is preserved, if you will, and probably in Petra, they're all going to come to Christ. It's, it's an amazing thing. Romans 9 through 11 goes through it. All right, a lot of caveating. Uh, you're up. I have to say the obedience of Hosea is just a stellar example of faithfulness to God. I don't know how many of us men would be willing to be hard. It's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So now we're in chapter 2, uh, verse number 2. And God says this to Hosea, or through Hosea, bring charges against your mother. Bring charges. For she is not my wife, speaking of Israel, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. 
drop down to verse 7. She will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better uh, for then it was better for me than now. All right, mini commentary. Um, Good, because I need you to fix that. <laughs> no, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was just, you know, God's not afraid to, you know, be semi-graphic. He's making it very, very clear how strongly he feels about idolatry and um, what these people are doing against him. And uh, I think that it's, it's a strong statement from him, but it also is challenging to us as far as God's very jealous of who worships or worships him and how they do it. Absolutely. See if you can get that puppy running. I'm going to steal this from you. All right, so let's uh, just quickly go through this again. In Hosea 2.2, 2, the second cycle began with a rebuke of Gomer as representing Israel. It was predicted that she would be stripped naked, made like a desert without water and disgrace. All right, this is all very graphic. It's, uh, it's like unbecoming of a church to go here, but God says, no, you are going to go here because this is important. He's using these very, very graphic things to point out the sin of Israel. Now, if we go back to when we went to uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine and proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. When we look at this and it's like, okay, our, here's the practical application. Are you walking with God today? Are you, are, I mean, is he truly, when we say we love the Lord with all our strength, with all our heart, mind, all, every, every part of our being, are we 100% sold out to God? That's the key question. As God chastised Israel, as God challenged Israel, uh, you got it? Yep. All right, good. All right, uh, uh, this is uh, exactly how it ties in to Hosea. All right, so her lovers, and again, you, you go to the nth degree on that, her lovers would leave her, but God declared that he would judge her and punish her. After the time of judgment, she would be restored to her husband. I mean, that's a marvelous, marvelous thing uh, when we get down to uh, uh, the next section here. At that time, she would be planted in the land. Now, would is a bad word because actually it's, it's prophetic. All these things, they have happened. Has Israel, okay, let's, let's get back to the historical contextual issue. Has Israel and Judah been restored to the land at this point? All right, have they somewhat been restored to the land? Sort of. 1948, when Israel became a nation, did the Jewish people start to return to Israel? The answer is yes. There were about 100,000 Jewish people in Israel, 100,000 Jewish people in Israel in about 1948. How many Jewish people currently live in Israel? About over, it's it's almost it's about seven and a half million pushing eight million according to some census. Now, you're like, well, okay, boy, they've had a population explosion in Israel. No, they haven't. Where are those Jewish people coming from that are populating Israel today? Is it because they're having all those babies? No. No. Where are they coming from? Everywhere. Everywhere. How do we know that? Ezekiel 37 stated that the Jewish people will be regathered, but they have no breath in them. If you're not breathing, what are you? You're dead. What kind of dead are, are the Jewish people in Israel right now? 
spiritually. And spiritually dead. And this is no, I love the Jewish people. I love Israel. I plan on being back there next year if we can uh, make a trip happen, if the COVID thing is done. I love the Jewish people. I've got a ton of Jewish friends. I, I mean, uh, they're tough. They're hard to witness to, but I love these folks. Why? God loves them. But here's the issue. The returning of Israel, is it fulfilling prophecy with those 7.5 million people showing up in Israel? Yes. It is. And eventually, over there's over about 14.5 to 15 million Jewish people in the world today, which means about 50% of the Jewish people have now gone to Israel. How did they get there? We've talked about this in Prophecy Focus Global Update many different times. What's drawing the Jewish people back to Israel? How about money? No. How about property? No. How about a piece of the rock? <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. No. And we gave the illustration. I forget who gave it the other day. About, well, a couple of months ago, somebody was sitting up here, and I've said this once or twice. Uh, there was a couple, and they said, man, we talked to this Jewish couple last week. And, and here's their story. He wakes up. He, he wakes up. She wakes up at the same time. They both look at each other. No, man. And they both look at each other. And uh, that's a little joke. Anyway, you know, my comedic joke never works. I have terrible timing. Anyway, he wakes up. She wakes up. They look at each other. And she says, are you thinking what I'm thinking? He says, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And they both said, we need to go back to Israel. We need not back to. We need to go to Israel. They're an American citizens. And they both wake up, and this, and you say, well, how does that happen? I, I called God's magnetic pole. He's like, he's like, yeah, I need you back in Israel. Wow, 7.5 million people have gone through and said, I'm going to Israel. Is it because they love Jesus? No. Uh-uh. Is it because they love, yes, is it because they love Yahweh, God? Not really. Why do they go? Well, I got to go back. I got to go there. It's not even a religious poll. It's just an amazing thing. All right, you got me off track. Let's get back. All right, so we're looking at these things. And uh, where did you leave off on our sheet here? Verse 7, I think. Verse 7. All right, she will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better for me than now, so we're in uh, chapter 2. So let's go to chapter 2, verse 10. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbath, all her appointed feasts. Verse 13. I will punish her for the days of the Baals, the pagan idolatry to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but, she, but me she forgot, says the Lord. So here's that comparison. God is saying, look at what you've done. You have basically, you've sold yourself out to me. You've left my home. You've gone after strange lovers. You're receiving gifts, if you will. You're buying into their pagan idolatry, and you're sucking in all these things, and you're leaving me hanging out to dry. It's a horrible, horrible scene. That's how God feels. You say, does God have emotions? This is filled with emotion. I mean, it really is. And he can compare that to our human emotion. Just imagine if this was your wife or your husband, and this is what they were doing. 
And it's like, oh, I can't hardly bear it. But let's go to the positive thing. Verse 14. Therefore, behold, God says, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. So here's Israel that has basically spit in the face of God, has walked away from him, and God says, I'm going to seduce my wife and I'm going to get her back in the best of ways. Don't take that as a lewd thing. It's God saying, I love my people, Israel. I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to do whatever it takes to love her, to allure her, to seduce her, to bring her back into my home. It's, it's just an absolutely gorgeous it's picture. It's just a picture of his grace. It is. All right, let's go to, let's skip down to, where's the next one here? Uh, we're going to run out. Um, I'll tell you what, instead of doing that for right now, let's go to, uh, go to Hosea chapter 2 and verse 16. And Josh, I'm going to let you do this piece. Okay. Verses 16 through Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, is talking about the restoration. So remember, God just chastises Israel. Ah, I don't like you. This is what you've done. Ah, you're terrible. I, I ought to get rid of you. And then we come to this. It shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. And that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from earth to make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. You shall know the Lord. It shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, and with oil. They shall, they shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had a, not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people, and they shall say, you are my God. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel look to other gods, and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. All right, so because of time, if we're going through the slides, we're not going to make it. So we're just going to, let's just uh, make it easy. Let's just stay in the text. Uh, we're going to go, it's, and again, chapter 6, verse 4, all the way through 11. 11 is that section that we're working on. Uh, so again, uh, Hosea chapter 3, verse 2, so I bought her for myself. This is Hosea. Now he sees Gomer up on the auction block. She's been prostituting herself. She's messed up. She's decrepit. She's uh, not in good shape. And Hosea says, I bought for myself for 15 shekels of service of silver and one and one half omers of barley. He's basically paying the price of a, of a good slave, if you will, at that particular juncture. So she's messed up, nobody wants her, and Gomer says she's my prized possession. I want her back, I'm willing to pay, if you will, top dollar for her. Uh, going on to verse 5, Afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. That again is the opposite. God's saying, uh, 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 
I'm, I'm upset with her now, I, but I want to buy her back. I want to bring her back. I want to love her as if she uh, was as pure as white as snow. Uh, and I'll take all those imperfections away. Again, every time we're talking about the blessing to come, has that blessing occurred yet? The answer is basically no. All right, they come back from captivity. So the, the Syrians and the Babylonians, the, they come back from the, or the Jewish people come back from those two captivities, but they never really sold out to God. How do we know that? How do we know the Jewish people didn't come back and totally sell out to God and life is good? What happened in A.D. 70? Say so what? Yeah, uh, in AD 70, what happened? Daniel 9, 26 makes it very clear that the Jewish people, even though he brought them back in 515 B.C., he said, if you don't follow after me, if you don't serve me, I'm going to take out your second temple, and I'm going to take out your streets, and I'm going to scatter you. If you can get Daniel 9, 26 for me, we'll read that, because it prophesies that. Daniel prophesied this in about 586 B.C., the second temple is going up, and already Daniel's prophesying that it's going to come down. That's almost 600 years later because God, of course, knew that the Jewish people, God bless them, were not going to stay faithful to God. Have you got it? And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the, war, uh, until the end of the war Desolations are determined. All right, so Daniel 9.26 is operative here. What happens? Who's the one that's going to get cut off? Messiah. Who's, who gets cut off? Who? Jesus. They not believe in you. <laughs> Read the first part of 9.26 again. After the, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Who's Messiah? All right, Jesus Christ. Did Messiah get cut off? Did he die? Yes. Did he die? Right there, right? 586 B.C., Daniel prophesies that the Messiah will come and he will be cut off and die. 586 years before it happened. That happened. What's the next piece? But not for himself. And did, the did, okay, so did Jesus die for himself? No. Who did he die for? Us. All right, next phrase. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Boop. The people of the prince who is to come, and by the way, hasn't come yet, is going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. This was written in 586 B.C. Who came and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple? Who did that? Rome. The Romans. General Titus came in. He plundered Jerusalem took down the second temple, scattered the Jewish people all over the earth in A.D. 70. Hmm. Who, let's see, the one who's going to come, is the prince that's going to come is speaking of the Antichrist. The Antichrist must come from the people that destroyed the city and the sanctuary, meaning he has to come from where? All right, now, with caveat. You say, what's the caveat? We're talking about the Roman city or the Roman Empire? Empire. Empire. All right, the Roman Empire back in uh, Daniel's day, and the easiest way to describe it, and it's yes, it's a little tantalizing the way I'm going to say it, the landmass that incorporated the Roman Empire is today almost a duplicate of the 
bam, European Union. So, basically stated, the Antichrist, if he comes, and he must, I mean, it makes it very clear, has to come out of what was the Roman Empire at that time, which is basically out of uh, the landmass, if you will, that pretty much mimics the European Union at this time. All right, so let's move on. Uh, we got we got to get all the way through chapter eleven in a couple minutes. So I'm going to turn this over to you. If you can, uh, I got it right here. Going through. Oh, okay. Four, you can go. Four. Yeah, go through the the major negatives, if you will. All right. So chapter four, verse one says, "For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priests for me." This is in verse six. Yeah, we're in chapter 4, by the way, if you're yep. following. Hosea 4, 6. Uh, I will also reject you from being priest for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sin against me. I will change their glory into shame. Dropping down to verse 17 of chapter 4. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. Stop. Who is Ephraim? Why is God bringing up the name Ephraim multiple times? Anybody know why? Hearing no answer. It's very simple. Ephraim simply is a nut, what God determined to use for the entire northern kingdom. When he's chastising the ten northern tribes, often he just calls out the name, out if you will, Ephraim. He's talking about...